Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. The precious blood of the Lamb. Thank God for the precious blood that he shed. Has everyone served the elements of communion? The Lord's Supper. If you haven't received it yet, raise your hand. We'll get them to you over here. Just raise your hand up there. Anyone else over here on this side, that side? We'll be celebrating the Lord's uh, Supper here today. Over there. Just raise it up so our ushers can see. We'll be glad to over here to my right, your left. Something to imagine that only one pool of blood can save. We've all been made from one pool of blood, Adams. And that got us into deep trouble. But praise God, there's another who came. The second Adam, his blood was not sin stained whatsoever. And he shed it for us on Calvary. He took it to the high court of heaven. He paid our sin debt and obtained eternal redemption for us. So how much should we value and appreciate the blood that he shed for us? Amen. Praise God. Let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never, ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God for the precious blood of Jesus and the word of God that reveals to us his blood sacrifice. Amen. I want to talk to us this morning about reverent participation of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is one of the two ordinances of the church. One is water baptism. And water baptism identifies us with Christ, so it's speaking of identification, but it's also speaking of obedience. For we're told to be baptized. Give your heart to Christ and be baptized. According to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and that was when Peter preached his first sermon. But then also there's the Lord's Supper, or we could call it Holy Communion, 
And that speaks of intimacy with God. It speaks of our fellowship with God. Of course, it's our blood covenant with God. It's the blood covenant meal. But it really speaks of serious intimacy with God. And to think about this, unlike the water baptism, which is obedience and identification, that has no warning attached to it. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper that we'll be celebrating here this morning, there is a warning attached to it. Look in 1 Corinthians. This is from the Message Translation, chapter 11. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Whoa, did you hear that? Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives, test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless and sick, and others have gone on to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. Everybody say, wow. Say it backwards. <laughs> wow. You like that translation of that? It's like you're spitting on them and jeering. Wow. So I would have to say that um, if we participate irreverently, then we open up ourselves to what? Weakness, sickness, and premature death. But if we participate reverently, we open up our lives to strength, health, and longevity. Hmm, which would you prefer? And when we talk about strength, it's not just physical strength, it's mental strength, emotional strength, spiritual strength, health, and longevity. Well, I believe we would rather have that than weakness, sickness, and premature death. Amen? So for that reason, I want to share with us five looks, looking at the Lord's Supper from five different perspectives or five different looks to help us determine that we are going to celebrate reverently. Notice it doesn't say that you're not able to, you're not worthy to do so. It's talking about reverently as opposed to irreverently. Well, in our own thinking, we might, let's say, be like people groups of the world. For example, in Japan... Did you know it's rude to leave a tip? It is irreverent. It is rude to leave a tip. Did you know in Haiti, it's disrespectful for children to whistle or to stare at adults or even to roll their eyes at adults? And did you know that in Germany... You're on time if you're five minutes early to an appointment. Did you get that? If you're late for an appointment, mm, you're not looking too good in their eyes. 
Well, did you know that in the economy of heaven, to disrespect the Lord's Supper, to participate irreverently, is not taking lightly? We want to know these truths, right? See, some say, why don't we do it every week? Because sometimes if you do it every week, you kind of lose something. It's just a part of things and you just go through it flippantly or whatever. I like to teach on it when we have the Lord's Supper because there's such meaning behind it. It really encompasses everything that we believe in. The whole Bible can be just summed up right here in the Lord's Supper. Think about it. So look at these different five looks. Number one is first and foremost is the upward look. Look at John's Gospel. Chapter 6, this is the upward look. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God which is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said he unto them, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And slip on down now to verse 51. We're going to read through 58, even though that's not in your notes. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So as we look at it from the upward perspective, we could see that this Lord's Supper is heaven sent. Jesus is the true bread that came down from heaven. He is the bread of life. Now, he's talking to these Jews that are not regenerate, and they think he's mad. Matter of fact, many people found this hard to hear, and they left him, deserted him, walked away from him. Remember, they're not supposed to drink blood. Who's going to drink blood? They've been told not to. But, of course, they don't realize how he's speaking. They claim that Moses is the one that gave them this manna that came down from heaven. And he said, no, no, that was only a type. I'm the true bread that comes down from heaven, and I'm here. You, get, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want life in you. So this Lord's Supper is heaven sent. And Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5 tells us exactly what happened. Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. All the bulls and the goats and all the animal sacrifices that took place throughout the Old Testament, all the blood that was shed, tons and gallons and gallons and gallons and thousands of gallons of blood that were shed over all that period of time, cannot save a sin-sick soul. But he housed the only blood 
that could redeem man from his fallen state and restore him to a relationship with the living God. Thank God for the body provided for him and the sacrifice that he made. So we look at it from the upward perspective and we thank God for loving us so much that he sent his son into the world to die for us. Secondly, let's look at it from the backward perspective or look. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 that says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's what? His death till he comes. So the backward look takes us back to the cross. It takes us back to Calvary. And this morning we're to be mindful of when he died upon Calvary's cross and all that it means. So we go back to Isaiah 53 and we begin reading at verse 1. And everywhere you see the word our here, say my. It'll bless you. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne my griefs and carried my sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and with his stripes I am healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hallelujah. What a declaration. What a statement. My sin placed on him. My sickness placed on him. My mental anguish placed on him. My life, hallelujah, placed on him. He bore it for me. He took it from me. He paid my sin debt. Can I say it again this morning? He took my place. He died my death. He suffered my hell. And he paid my sin debt. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. The cross, we go back to the cross and we see different perspectives even today of the cross. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 when he talked about this. The cross to the Jew is offensive. It is a stumbling block. How can anybody who dies accursed on an accursed tree... Be the Messiah. That settles it for them. It's a stumbling block. And to the Greek, it's foolishness. It's idiotic. Because you see, they're intelligent individuals. They believe in education. So to them, how can some criminal dying on a cross do anything to help me? It's not reasonable. It's not logical. It's not intellectual to believe such a thing. But there's a third group. And that third group is the believer. To the believer, it is the wisdom of God. It is the power of God to save the sin-sick soul. Thank God for the cross. 
Thank God for the sacrifice. Thank God for the death that he died. And you know what? In that body that he lived in on this earth, he lived a perfect life before the Father. You know why that's important? Because when the Father looks at you and he looks at me, he doesn't see our imperfections. He sees Christ's perfections. He doesn't see our shortcomings. He sees our Lord's perfections. He actually sees us through this rainbow of the blood provided for us through the sacrifice of our Lord. You know how you have that rainbow in the sky after a rain and the sun shines and it reminds us of the promise that God made? In Revelation, there's another rainbow. And when God the Father looks through to the earth, he sees through that rainbow of the blood of the Lamb, everybody perfect in Jesus. That's how he sees you. That's how he sees all of us. Thank God for the blood that was shed for our redemption. In the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7. See, the death of our Lord reminds us of his great sacrifice that he made for us. We know the bread speaks of his body. And also the blood of his sacrifice and his life that he laid down for us. And that's why he said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is the insight Paul gave to Timothy, and we should take it to heart. We all know verse 7, but I wonder how many know the verses following. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, right? So be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but now is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." There's no need to fear death because death has been dealt with. Death has been defeated. Death has been destroyed. He took upon himself the seed of Abraham so that through death he would destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death all their lifetime were in bondage. Well, praise God, we've been liberated from the fear of death. And praise God, we know it's been dealt with and life and immortality has been brought to light to the gospel. So when someone says, I don't know what happens when you die. Oh, yeah, it's very clear. If you know Christ, you don't die. He said, I'm he that lives and I was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. And if you believe on me, you're never going to die. You're just going to transition. You're just going to move from earth to heaven in your heavenly abode. Oh, hallelujah. What a wonderful thing. So thank God, forgiveness is provided for every single one of us and whosoever will can come to the cross. And we have the right to participate in this celebration. It came from heaven. It took place on the cross. But then thirdly, and this is so important, look inwardly. Look at that verse 28, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But let a man examine his wife.
Uh, let a woman examine her husband. Uh, no, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now, we're rolling up our sleeves and getting down to what it's all about. We are to do some serious heart searching when it comes to celebrating this supper. I need to examine my heart, examine myself to be certain that I'm participating in a reverent manner. You know, in the King James, it says worthily, and it makes people think that I'm unworthy. No, every born-again believer is worthy to celebrate this supper, to participate in it. He's talking about doing so irreverently. Well, what were they doing irreverently? The Corinthian church, they were out there. They were doing all kinds of crazy things. They had their little cliques. They had their little groups. The ones that were wealthy, they had themselves a big meal. They were coming early. They were drinking. They were getting drunk and so on and so forth. And those that were poor were over here on that side of the church. And they had hardly anything. They had all these social groups that were meeting together and all that. Like I said, all these cliques and all that. And Paul was just like beside himself. What's the matter with you people? Can't you eat at home? When you come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, you're doing it irreverently. No regard for what Jesus even stands for. He told you even to love your enemy, let alone one another here. You're in the body of Christ. You should be loving each other, caring for each other, not having divisions among you, not having cliques among you, but seeing everybody equal in Christ, having the same redemption, the same love, the same Father, the same Jesus, the same Spirit, the same redemption, and the list goes on and on and on. You should be caring for one another and celebrating accordingly. But they weren't doing that. So he says, you know what? You need to examine your heart, examine your motive, examine your behavior, your conduct, etc. Well, now notice this. Some questions that we can ask ourselves before we celebrate this supper. Number one, have I been born again? 1 Peter 1.23 makes it very clear to us. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. How? By the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The only qualification that we need is to be born again. And you say, well, what does it mean to be born again? Accept Christ into your heart, to make him the Lord of your life. It doesn't mean to go to church. It doesn't mean to sit in a pew. I did that for 24 years and I wasn't born again. It doesn't mean to know about Christ. It means to know Christ intimately. You've asked him to save your sin-sick soul and he did and you know it. You pass from death to life because you know it because you love the brethren. You've had this take place in your life. I've talked to people like that and they said, well, I was taught this and I was taught that and I went through this and I went through that. I said, but do you know Jesus personally as your Savior and Lord? Have you been born again? I have no idea what you're talking about. You know how sad that is to think people have been in church? And I, I'm not just talking about one particular church. I'm talking about many different denominations of churches. Never heard about being born again. Really? How sad is that? All you've got to do is be born again. Get on your knees before God and say, Jesus, I repent of my sins. Save me by your grace. And he'll come in and give you a brand new heart. That qualifies you. That qualifies me. But look at Psalm 139 for those of us who have been saved. Look at these. I have two different translations, the Message Bible and then the New Living Translation. Sometimes we need help investigating ourselves, examining ourselves, cross-examining ourselves. Did you know that? Do you know he knows us better than we know ourselves? You believe that, don't you? He sure does. Investigate my life, O oh God. 
Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See yourself whether I've done anything wrong, then guide me on the road to eternal life. And then look at the New Living Translation of that. I like this one statement, the way it's, it's said. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Isn't that good? Point out anything in me that offends you. You see, it's so important that we be this intimate with him. Why? Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. It's what in me is offensive to you? Just lay it out there for me. Expose it to me. Show me so I could repent. And then finally, when it comes to uh, this inward look, examining ourselves, do I really understand what the body of Christ is all about? Because he did say not discerning the Lord's body. And there's a threefold thing here. Number one, his literal body that was broken for us. The literal body of Christ. We've tried to show it on film when it comes to, you know, the passion of the Christ. And we see how graphic that was and how detailed and how brutal that was. But that's only the beginning of it. That's not the full fullness of it. You see, that physical thing, sometimes because we're physical beings, we look at that and think that's awful. Can't compare to the fullness of his suffering for us in that body. When he bore our sin, when he became sin is what it was all about. So li literally speaking, when he became sin for us and he left the glory world to, to come to this earth to become sin for us, he was born to die. His mission was to die. His mission was to die for me, to die for you. His mission was to bear my sin, your sin, my sickness, my disease, your sickness, your disease, etc., etc. That was his mission. And without it, we're lost forever. And so I view his body as so precious. The shedding of his blood so valuable. It's beyond my comprehension. It should move me to active obedience to serve him. Some might say, serve me because I'm your master. Serve me because I'm putting food on your table. He says, serve me because I took your place. I died your death. Serve me because I paid your sin debt and suffered everything that you should have suffered. If that's not enough to move you, to love me enough to serve me, then I don't know what is. See, it's not about going to church. It's about serving him. Secondly, I am the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Individually, we look at that individually. We are the body of Christ individually. And thirdly, collectively, corporately, we are the body of Christ. So we see three different looks at the, uh, the body of Christ. Literally, individually, and collectively. What Paul said, don't you know you're the temple of the Most High God? Your body belongs to God, not to yourself. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. So glorify him in your spirit and your body, which belong to God. So I see myself as being this blood-bought individual who belongs to the king of glory. And he wants me to serve him with my life to live for him. But then also he wants me to recognize and honor the need for the whole body to see that it's the temple of God. And that brings me to my next point. It's the outward look. The outward look. 
I want you to notice in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at what it says. Now you collectively are Christ's body and individually you are members of it. Each part severally and distinct, each with his own place and function. Wow. So, collectively, we are the body of Christ, and we need each other just as the human body needs every vital part to function correctly, to be whole. Look at these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are there many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Who's the head? I'll give you one more chance. <laughs> Who's the head? He can't say, I don't need you. Okay, so what are we getting at? Well, we're getting at the fact that when you came here today, did anybody leave your arm at home? Anybody leave an ear at home? No? You brought it with you? How about your teeth? Well, maybe some did. I don't know. Maybe you forgot. <laughs> oh. oh, I'll never forget Brother John. How Brother... <laughs> oh, Brother John, he and his wife both had false teeth. And he said he was, he was quite a character. He just said he had to get, set his alarm to get up before his wife did to get the better set of teeth. <laughs> the best set of teeth. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I'll never forget that one. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> okay, so what is he saying? <laughs> we all need each other. We all need the body to come together like this and take your place and do your part, right? Absolutely. Now, the question is, if I'm recognizing then that I am a member of the whole body, the larger body of Christ, then I have a place, a participation, don't I? Absolutely. I have a duty, a responsibility, an obligation to do what? The seeing or the hearing or the smelling or the tasting or the touching, right? Or the playing or the singing or the preaching or, and we go on, uh, ushering or using sound equipment. And the list goes on and on and on and on, working with all these different things, functioning in such a way so that we're a living organism of love, each one carrying out the purpose that God has called us to because we all can participate. You see, and you know what COVID really did? It did us a big disservice. People got used to sitting at home and drinking their coffee and watching on live streaming and lost sight of the fact that you're also, now that we're able to come together, needed to do your part, to take your place. And that's why we're here. That's why we use the gifts God gave us, the abilities that God gave us, the talents that God gave us. And this is part of this celebration. Am I taking my place? Am I doing my part? 
You could operate in an area where maybe you are financially blessed and you help finance things like turkeys, book bags, whatever. And the list is endless, I'm sure. But we all have a part to play in the kingdom, in the body of Christ. And I'll tell you what, if we really want to get on fire for God, start doing something for him. Guarantee you, he won't let you alone. He will not let you alone. It doesn't matter what it is. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. Maybe you send out cards. You know what? You're, you're a blessing when you send out those cards. And those people that receive those encouraging words are blessed by the communication that you offer. Especially those that are out there in maybe in warfare time. Those that are in college that are away and they're being challenged because they're in an environment that's not as protected as they were when they were here. Now they're out there and they're being challenged from every direction by individuals that are not as godly. They don't serve God. They don't walk with God or they come from a background where they don't even know God. And so he's not even a part of the equation when it comes to their lives. But you send out that card, that word of encouragement that says we support you. We're standing with you. We're here with you. Praise God. We believe with you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens? They're brought back to their roots. Something stirs within their soul. The spirit of God takes over. And begins to show them why they believe what they believe and why they choose to say no to the things these other people don't say no to. Because, you see, they don't know Christ. That's why. So, we take our place, we do our part, and God's kingdom is advanced as a result. And finally, look at the forward one. Now here, this is so important. There are those we say today that are making a big to-do about people talking about Jesus coming. Well, he said there'd be wars and rumors of wars. He said there would be earthquakes that would really be advanced were earthquakes in the last time before his coming. Did he not? A lot of these things are taking place. We see these things taking place. We see 2 Timothy 3 being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Lovers of entertainment more than lovers of God, disrespectful to their parents, etc., etc. All those things that he pointed out. We see this culture in a, in a crazy, crazy way right now. Things happening that you never thought would ever happen. Who would ever think that you're not allowed to write down on a birth certificate whether it's a boy or a girl? But they've got to make that decision when they get older. Whoever thought a school, a school system would be able to keep from their parents, the parents of the children, what they're doing. But they want to pass that into law. As if the school has jurisdiction over the child's life. All that's ludicrous. We're living in crazy times right now. We see it all around us. This taking place in Israel right now. And the list goes on and on. But the things we talked about, the red heifer, things that talk about the rebuilding of the third temple, the things that are being set in place right now. Here's the point. He may not come in our lifetime. But we're supposed to be talking about it. We're supposed to be thinking about it. We're supposed to be looking for his appearing, as Titus said. Paul said to Titus, right? What does the grace of God teach us? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteous, sober, and godly in this present age, looking for the appearing of our Lord. Why? Because that motivates us to serve him. Why am I here? Why am I in church? Because I know he's coming, and he's coming back for a church without spot and without wrinkle. Someone who says, I want to be a part of the work of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the body of Christ. I'm going to carry out his plan, purpose, and will for my life. We see there was a time when the old timers, we called them foundations, uh, 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 pillars of the church, when they 
laid down their lives. They dedicated themselves. They walked with God. They joined themselves together to a church. You couldn't break them from it. They were committed. They were giving themselves over in love to provide for others, to bring them into the family of God. They served God faithfully. But like I said, in these, the culture in which we live right now, do a study. You can see that it's diminishing. You can see that church going is diminishing. There's no need. But the Bible says, as you see the day approaching, all the more shall we be gathering together. Right? Encouraging one another to do so. Why does it make one better than another person? No, it just means one's un one understands they're part of the body of Christ and they have a function. And we all should take our place and do our part. We don't twist someone's arm to go to church. You can't do that. What you want to do is feed their heart and let them know you're part of a bo body needs you. Does it get any clearer than this? Did you leave your finger home today? No. Did you leave your eyeball home today? No. Why? It's important to you. It's valuable to you. Right? So what is he saying to us? Take your place and do your part. But the people aren't perfect and neither are you. Right? Yeah, but I call them hypocritical. What's a hypocrite? One that says one thing and does another, right? Guess what? No one's perfect. No one's sinless. We all miss the mark. We all fall short of the glory of God, do we not? And guess what? You, you see this supper right here? You and I have been forgiven the $25 billion debt. So forgive somebody. They're 25 cent debt, right? Two bits, a quarter. Um, he's coming again. In the rapture of the church, the second coming, he's coming again. We should be talking about it and we should be inspiring people, letting them know he's coming again. And it could be soon. It could be tomorrow because everything's in place right now. So guess what? Get motivated. Get it together. Start walking with God. Start serving God. Do your part. Take your place. Use your gift. I don't have a gift. I don't sing on purpose. You don't want that. I would never damage you that way. But you know what? We've got a group here that's been gifted and talented. And they do use that gift for God. And can you say amen? amen? So what can you do is the question just do it heartily as unto the Lord and praise God. You've taken your place. You're doing your part and the kingdom of God will be advanced and God will bless you for it beyond measure. In conclusion, I want us to read this again. I'm going to start a little bit back further in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 23. This again is from the message translation. Why? Because this Lord's Supper is a perpetual reminder given to all of us of the severity of sin and the price that was paid for us to be delivered from its consequences. I don't need to say that again, do I? And we're to approach this supper with reverence, adoration, respect, appreciation, gratitude, and a desire to live a life that's pleasing to the God we serve and to the Savior who gave his life for us. So let look at this. Look at how it says it. Message translation. 
Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master Himself and passed them on to you. The Master, Jesus, on the night of His betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body broken for you, this do to remember me. After supper, He did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless or weak and sick and others have gone on to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. Wow. Goodness. You know, I was... I, I think I saw this online. I, I, I remember exactly. Forgive me. Don't remember the exact details. But this was a large church. And what they did was they had baskets. And when they came to the conclusion of the service, they just said, take your, you know, your communion elements as you leave. They just came up to the front, took them, and just went out the door. Yeah, as they went. Which is... You could, you could do, do it anywhere. Obviously, you, you can celebrate the Lord's Supper. But when you're in church like this, the whole thing is the body of Christ is, yes, us individually, yes, Him literally. But this is the body of Christ. And we're to love each other. To care for each other. To take our place and do our part. To honor him in doing so. You know, a lot of you don't know this. I've said this before. Nikki, she comes early in the morning and what does she do? She puts the, the notes in the bulletin for you. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Michael does the same thing out there before he greets people when they're coming in. Isn't that it's a small? You say that's a small thing. You think the widow's two mites were small in the eyes of Jesus? There's nothing too small. Any little thing that we can do to promote unity among the believers, that person is doing it heartily as unto the Lord. Someone says, well, there's nothing I can do. Yes, there is. You have these things called knees? You can kneel down and you can pray. I pray for the nation of Israel. I pray for peace upon Jerusalem. I, pay for, I pray for the success of, and then the list goes on and on. You can do that. 
doesn't take much to do that. We all can do that. There's always something we all can do. So we should never view this as just, just another part of our service. This is really challenging us to examine our hearts and our own lives and say to, to the Lord, is there anything in me that needs changed? Something you see in me, I want you to point it out to me so I can adjust my own life to line up with what you want for me. Do I forgive as I've been forgiven? I've heard people say I'm not forgiven no matter what. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Didn't he say that? If you don't forgive your brother, I'm, you're not going to be forgiven. Who wants to die not forgiven? So examine our own hearts and lives. And that's what this is calling us to do. This is not for guilt or condemnation, although he did say you'll be guilty of the body and blood if you don't do it reverently. Didn't he say that? So we could see both sides of the coin. God wants us to take a moment right now. Bow your head, close your eyes, get alone with God. Before we celebrate, you just go ahead and say, Lord, is there something you want to point out to me that I need to do here? If there's someone I haven't forgiven, I release that person right now in the name of Jesus from whatever it is I think they owe me. Do I think they owe me an apology? It doesn't matter what we think. You think Jesus said, I'll forgive them if they apologize? No, he said, I'll die for them in their place so they can be forgiven. Whatever it might be, animosity, bitterness, pride, arrogance, whatever it might be. We're all in the flesh and these things of the flesh can destroy us. Jesus gave his life so that we could be free. grateful we are to you. How grateful. Examine yourself. There's some changes I want to make. Some corrections. To be more faithful in certain areas of my life. Whatever the case may be. Let's all stand in reverence. Has everybody been served the elements of communion of the Lord's Supper? Be angry, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Amen. Everyone has the elements over here. We need some over here. My right, your left. We've got some coming. Anybody else? Just kindly raise your hand. We'll get it to you. If you have a hard time getting that thing open, sometimes some people do. Ask for help. It's on the bottom. Okay, the new ones, it's on the bottom. The, the bread's on the bottom. So make sure you open up that one first. You don't want to open up the top one. <laughs> You'll be in trouble if you do it that way. I guess there must be some old ones out there from last time. So just to let you know that, we'll give you a moment to get yourself <laughs> situated. 
The new ones, on the bottom you have the bread. You could turn it over, open it first, and then turn it back over. Then at the top, you could pull off the top and you could have the, the, uh, the juice. The old ones, I'm praying for you. Those are a little bit more difficult to navigate. Anyone else? Here we need, over here, anyone else? You need help or you just need the elements? Yeah. And if you're having trouble with it, just get another one. What a statement this makes this morning. We look at it from the heavenly perspective, upwardly. We look at it backward, the cross, the sufferings of our Lord, inwardly. Where am I at in my walk with Him? Outwardly, am I taking my place in the body of Christ and being serious about being a part of this living organism of love? And then forward, am I anticipating? Can we, so would you mind throwing up those Acts chapter one? Verses 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall come, so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Think about that. These men saw Jesus turn water into wine, heal the nobleman's son, heal the woman with the issue of blood, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, walk on water, calm a storming sea more than once, Multiply food, fish, and bread. They saw him bring Lazarus after four days from the dead. And the list goes on and on of the numerous things that they saw him do. If the books were written, the world couldn't contain the books. Now, they see his miraculous ascension. And they're gazing, looking up. Can you imagine the sight of that? And he just lifts and ascends and their eyes and these angels go, stop gawking, get working. He's gonna come back, he's coming back. Get yourself ready, get busy about the master's business. He's coming back. Oh, saints of God, he's coming back. I'm telling you, he's coming back. Hallelujah. You show forth the Lord's death, past, as we do it now, present, till he comes, future. Hallelujah. With reverence, let us celebrate this Lord's Supper together. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you partake of it, do so remembering me.
Let's take a moment. Jesus, we remember you, how you left the glory world behind, how you robed yourself in flesh, how you walked on the creation that you created, how you lived as no man ever lived, as you did as no man ever did, and spoke as no man ever spoke, and you died as no one will ever, ever die. But you were raised from the dead in a glorified state. Hallelujah. And you took your blood to the high court of heaven for us. You bore stripes on your back. On Calvary's cross, you bore our sin, our sickness, our disease, our mental anguish. So that by your stripes we were healed. We reverently participate in this celebration with expectations of strength, health, and longevity for so doing. And together as the body of Christ, collectively, we receive the bread that symbolizes the body of our Lord. Let's receive it together and let us give thanks. Let him hear you say things. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your sufferings. Thank you for your death by crucifixion. Thank you for suffering the way you suffered to free us Hallelujah. From sickness, disease, mental anguish, Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, mental disorders of any name you've delivered us from. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For with your stripes, we receive healing. We receive strength and longevity. On the same night, he took the cup after they had supped. He gave thanks and he said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. As often as you partake of it, do so remembering me. Jesus, we remember that you stated that except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he has no life. But if we eat it and drink of it, we have life in you. We know the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We know that we've been made by one pool of blood, the Adamic blood that became sin stained because of the fall. But you came housing the only blood that can save the sin sick soul. You, as an act of your will, went to the cross where you suffered and died and you bore the sin of the world. You shed your blood upon Calvary's cross and you redeemed us with that precious blood not with silver, not with gold. And because of it, you are worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. For you redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation and made us a kingdom of priests before our God. So we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your shed blood. We thank you for the blood of the new and everlasting covenant that gives us life and that more abundantly. And we stand in awe of what you've done. We stand in awe of the price that you paid. And we stand in reverence before you right now as we celebrate 
together as the body of Christ, the blood that was shed for our redemption. Let us receive together the cup of the Lord. And let us give thanks. Even before you pass your cup, take a moment and give thanks. Hallelujah. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for the blood. Oh, there's power in the blood. Hallelujah. The blood of the Lamb. Thank God for the blood. Go ahead. You can pass the cup to the center aisle, but don't stop saying thank you for the blood. <clears throat> 